You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, as you know, I'm not up in front of you preaching very often. I do, however, get a chance to do an awful lot of public speaking, which means I'm always looking to um, improve my craft. I was on the phone with a friend last night who's a director in Hollywood, and as we were wrapping up the phone call, he said, I'm not exactly sure what I say to you. It's not break a leg. Is it break a pulpit? (laughs) I said, that sounds a little violent. Um, Maybe not that. Um, I also recently watched a TED Talk that another pastor friend sent me because his wife said every pastor needs to see this, so I watched it. And and this uh, TED Talk, the guy says, have one good idea, and I said, well, that's not very Presbyterian. (laughs) So um, here's the good idea for today. It will have three points, of course. Um, (laughs) Knowing and loving the whole of your story is what develops your gospel fluency, friends. Your capacity to tell the story of God at work in your life matters. Because when you share the stories of how God's been at work in your life, you share hope with other people who desperately need it. So today, here are the three points. I'm going to encourage you to do three things. I'm going to encourage you to embrace the whole of your story, the hideous and the holy parts, to submit the entirety of that story to God who recycles and redeems and then to tell your story in order to allow the light and love of God to be seen. Embrace it, submit it, and tell it. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we get to gather in your name to worship you. Thank you for our voices raised together in song. What a reminder that is that when we cannot sing, hearing another's voice encourages us. And so it is with our life stories, God, that you will use our hardship to encourage another or our joy to delight and encourage another. So do what only you can do and hide me behind your word so you are seen and you are glorified today. God, transform us, renew our minds because we have gathered together with your people in this place. And all God's children said, amen. Well, we've been in this series, The School of Love, for many weeks now, and today we're taking the final exam, and no, I will not grade on a curve. So... When you and I, the exam, is this, the exam is this, when we look back at the stories of our lives, can we see that knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, and being loved by Jesus have shaped our actions and our behaviors? We examine our lives. We want to discover, have we really paid attention here in the school of love, in the classroom, the sanctuary? If you know me at all, you know I am not an academic. I'm kind of a practical girl. And uh, my most recent studies have been focused on the area of the intersection of our spiritual formation and our emotional healing. How are those integrated in our lives and how do they shape our soul? How does God redeem the stories of our lives both for our good and for his glory? Well, we'll consider this today. And we'll figure out what we've learned together in this school of love that John has invited us into. We talk about gospel fluency. I want to remind you of one thing. The only way to become fluent in a language is to practice it. If you've had a class with me here, you know that I like to say, practice makes permanent. Not perfect, but permanent. Are we more fluent today than we were several weeks ago when we started in the school of love? So some quick refreshers looking back. That's what you do when you get to a final exam, right? You review. So here's our quick review. 
At the outset of the text of 1 John, John says that he's writing to promote relationship, both vertical, our relationship with God, and horizontal, our relationships with one another. John also writes pastorally to say to this community, your salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. Now go, he says, and live in love. He has a tender place in his heart for this community. In fact, he calls them little children. Most of us can relate when we see young people, either young in faith or those actually young in age, we encourage them when they're trying to learn something new, when they're trying to practice. And my children were no exception. Again, a little caveat, if you know me at all, you know that I've already negotiated a deal with my daughters, Starbucks gift cards have been sent, I have their permission to tell you this story. So, I have a picture of them, here they are at three and five. And throughout their childhood, Emma, my older daughter, and Camille, my younger, were very, very good friends. But even they failed at loving each other occasionally. I love this embrace. One day, I was at home, I was upstairs folding laundry, as all glamorous moms do, and I heard crying downstairs, which was quite unusual in my household, so I scurried downstairs, and I find them both in the family room on the floor sobbing, like loudly sobbing, and so I'm looking for blood, you know, what's going on here? And I said, well, what happened? And Emma said, Camille hit me. And I said, Camille hit you? She said, yes, I was, we were playing, and I fell over, and I bumped into her, and she thought I hit her, so Camille hit me back. And I said, Camille, why did you hit her back? We don't hit in this household. That's not what we do. And she looked at me. She has these enormous brown eyes, crocodile tears running down her face. I don't know where she gets the dramatic tendencies. And um, she says, Mommy, I was just doing what Jesus said. When your mom's a pastor and you hear this, it's a disconnect. So I said, well, what do you mean you were just doing what Jesus said? And she said, I was doing what Jesus said. Do unto others as they've done unto you. <laughs> it was so close. So close. She just had a little bit more to learn about Jesus in Scripture, just like the rest of us. So the next picture is my girls this fall at Emma's wedding. Emma still embracing her little sister. This is right after Camille had given a toast that brought us all to tears as she spoke of her adoration and respect for her sister and her new brother-in-law. Throughout their lives, my girls have continued to learn in the school of love, and they're gonna have to keep learning just like you and just like me. So how do we do that? Well, the good news is we don't have to do it alone. We get to do it in community. And when we discover places of pain, places where maybe we haven't loved others well, or we've been poorly loved, by others, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. Just as important as his advocacy for us is Jesus' compassion for us. You know, we truly have a compassionate God who loves us with such depth and tenderness and power that we can bring anything to him, our dismay or our delight. And we will, my friends, remain in this school of love for our lifetimes. The better we get to know the teacher, the more we allow the teacher, Jesus Christ, to transform and renew and reshape us. And the greater our trust in him, the more we can embrace the whole of our story. When we are confident that God hears us and we continue to ask him to grow us up, he does. Let me read you just a portion of our passage for today from 1 John. 
First John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Well, that begs the question, how do we know that we're asking according to his will? I'm so glad that Paul wrote this in Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Here's the key. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will know. You will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Going back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says, we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. Friends, we're in him. His word promises that he will transform and renew our minds. We need only to call on him and submit to him. We'll talk about how to do that today. Over and over in 1 John, the author has encouraged us to be in relationship. Now, some of you know I'm Italian, which means I love to feed people. And I often say that I love the sounds of a party. So I love, like, everything about it. The, the utensils kind of clanking against the dishes. The wine poured slowly into the glasses. The laughter as stories are shared around the table. Well, today I want to know, what story are you known for sharing around the table? What story do you bring that nourishes your fellow dinner guests, perhaps even nourishes your own soul when you share it? Here's the first thing I want you to take note of today. Stories are food for friends to feast on together. Stories are food for friends to feast on together. Now, growing up, I was... Well, this might be an understatement to say I wasn't a very good student. I wasn't a very good student. And uh, I especially didn't like standardized exams. How many of you remember those? Right? You had to fill in the bubbles. And the, for me, the terrifying moment was, was when the teacher would say, pencils down. And I'd be like, the smart people already, their pencils were already down. Right? And I'm trying to fill in the bubbles. I hated that. Well, today in the School of Love, I'm going to say the opposite to you. I'm going to say, keep your pencils. Keep writing. Keep learning and growing and pay attention to where God's at work and then take note of it. To put a twist on the phrase from the Gospels, today I encourage you to take up your pens and follow Jesus. Where is he showing up in your life? How is he shaping your story? The hard places, the places of pain, the tender places that need healing, or the places of great delight. Those stories nourish us too. You want gospel fluency? Keep practicing the language of the gospel. The language of the gospel is found between Genesis and Revelation. Certainly it's the language of love, but I want to tell you the truth. The language of the gospel also includes lament, not just delight and rejoicing. You know, there are times when each of us in our lives, we long for Jesus to simply remove our anguish and our anger. That's not how it works. 
He doesn't just remove them. He transforms heartache into passion. And he transforms anger into righteous defiance. You see, instead of shelving these unsavory memories, just pushing them out of sight, Jesus transforms them and creates something new. To submit those things to Jesus is our part. That's where we participate. To keep on writing takes courage. Author Brendan Manning said it takes ruthless trust. Let me quote Manning here. Why do I call this ruthless trust? Because ruthless means without pity. In the context of trusting Jesus, I mean without self-pity. That doesn't mean that all self-pity has to go. For when the shadow of Jesus' cross darkens our space, when pain and suffering intrude and our secure, well-regulated lives are blown apart, when tragedy makes an unwelcome appearance at our door, and we are deaf to everything but the shriek of our own heartache, self-pity is the first normal and probably right reaction, he says. But I will tell you, friends, there comes a point when this self-pity becomes malignant. It seduces us into self-destructive behavioral patterns. We numb, we withdraw, we isolate. There must be a moment on our journey, even in those hardest places, where we move from self-pity to ruthless trust in Jesus Christ. John 1.14, the message version says it this way, the word was made flesh and pitched his tent among us. And what do we get to do? With our minds spinning and our legs wobbling and our joints trembling, friends, we get to kneel before that trough and that squirming baby boy. We get to kneel before that Savior still marked with the scars of his crucifixion. And we have the privilege of saying, my Lord and my God, I trust you. I trust you with my pain, with my disappointment, in fact, my very heart. Last fall, I met a wonderful young filmmaker named Rachel Ashley. As an artist, she has amazing insights into the world that I don't have. From behind her lens, she sees things I miss. I have a lot to learn from this young woman. Here's what she wrote recently. The strongest, kindest people I know are constantly pulling shrapnel out of their hearts and molding it into keys, opening doors, ripping curtains, letting light in. Rachel is paying attention to the stories around her, stories that are fraught with hardship and heartache but ultimately, stories that display brave hearts. You see, it takes deep courage to face the places of pain in our life. It takes more courage still to remove the shrapnel or to invite God or a brother or sister in Christ to remove the shrapnel. God's word in Isaiah says, He makes beauty from ashes. God will take the shrapnel and shattered pieces of your life and make something new. Submitting all of those things to God changes us. I'm holding fast to those words of Rachel's. And I am wondering today, how can I, how can you partner with God 
How can we take the stories, the hardship stories, and shape them into something new that creates access for others, connection, you know, ripping the curtain so the light shines through and God is illuminated? What shrapnel are you carrying with you today? Are you willing to ask God hard questions? The hard questions about your own life story. Questions like, why didn't you keep my parents from getting a divorce? Why didn't you stop the abuse? Why didn't you prevent the accident? One theologian says, it is clear from scripture that God will answer no such questions. Instead, he invites us to go deeper with him. We weep with him and we receive his mercy. And he roars in anger with us and calls us to take up our sword and wage war against that which broke our heart. I would add that we're called to take up our pens and keep co-authoring our life with God. We write new chapters that display the redemption and the renewal that comes when God takes our story and redeems it. So we face our story, we submit our story to God, and we seek him in prayer. We ask others to pray with us on our behalf. We ask them to pray when our arms are too tired to reach out to God, or perhaps we don't have any more words. Christian author Sue Monk Kidd says this, healing prayer simultaneously soothes us and arouses us to battle. Jesus appears as both lion and lamb, furious and bold, gentle and meek. Prayer heals when we submit our, so our story to Jesus' sorrow, when we join his tears. This is not, she says, a psychological exchange or erasure of the past. That's not the goal. The goal is transformation of our hearts. And that enables us to enter reality and each day with new hope and new joy. A transformed and healed heart. Isn't that why we're here in the school of love? Dan Allender, who's a psychologist and theologian, says the healing path must pass through the desert or else our healing will be the product of our own will. In the desert, we trust God or die. Here's the important part. When we return from the desert, he says, we tell our story. Our story that feeds the soul of another who's currently in the wilderness and desperately needs nourishment. I said it earlier, stories are food for friends to feast on together. Why can you and I entrust our pain and our sorrow to Jesus? Because he's the God of compassion. And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to have the courage to sit with friends who need a compassionate ear. We need to be people who are deeply rooted and yet able to bend, and most of all, able to embrace others for their strengths and their struggles. Who in your life is deeply rooted in Jesus Christ? Who would embrace you the way Emma was embracing Camille in those photos earlier? We need to find those brothers and sisters. Perhaps that will happen for you this year in your Lent group. Well, why tell the story to nourish others, right? Author Zora Hurston says, there is no agony like bearing an untold story inside of you. You ever have that moment? You have to tell. You have to share the story. 
people have to know. There's a great new book out called People of the Second Chance by Mike Foster. He says this, As followers of Jesus Christ, we create a choir together that gladly sings about our brokenness and how we are not perfect, but we are perfectly loved. We have the chance to sing along with others. It was 2 a.m. when I got the call on Thanksgiving weekend just a few weeks back. Can you pray? Renee's in the hospital. The details were a little bit unclear. Eventually, I figured out she'd been in the passenger seat while her boyfriend was driving, and he hit a tree. She was trapped in the car. Eventually, they got her out of the car. She had a 4% chance of walking again. This is a young woman who's 23 years old, just spent four years playing college soccer, and now she might not walk. It took hours, then days, then weeks. She is in the 4% who walk after the kind of injury she had. But it was in those hours and days and weeks that followed that she discovered in a new way that Jesus Christ was beside her. Stunning, really, the MRI images with all 64 pieces of metal in her spine. Now, she says, I think I am titanium. (laughs) She's still recovering. This last week, she was cleared to exercise for 10 minutes a day. Can you imagine after hours a day as a college athlete? She sent me a couple of um, texts last week with different images of tattoos she wants to have put on her back to remind her that she's a warrior. And the I in the image is a semicolon because a semicolon, as all you English majors know, where's George when we need him, um, points to the fact that the story is not over. It is not a period, it is a semicolon. She's gonna keep growing. She's gonna keep learning. And she has discovered the presence of God in a remarkable way. I would never have wished this on her. However, I do know that God has been present to, with, and for her every moment of every day. She's gonna be telling this story for a very, very long time. You and I can learn to love our past. Even the parts we have avoided before today and the parts with regret. We can learn to love that when we understand that our story is written for our good and for God's glory. So embrace your story, submit it to God, and tell it to others. The story of God at work in your life, taking shrapnel, creating keys that open doors, and let God's light in. Please join me in prayer. Thank you, God, that you allow us to depend on you. Thank you that you're both lion and lamb, for we need all of who you are to rescue and redeem us. So give us courage today, Jesus. Give us courage to look at the whole of our stories, to submit them to you, God, in prayer, and if we need to, to invite others to help us do so. And then, God, may there be 
great delight and rejoicing as we tell the stories of your goodness and your presence and your faithfulness day after day after day in our lives. We love you, and we offer you our ruthless trust. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.